If I speak in human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, then I am only a resounding gong or clanging mm. cymbal. If I have a faith that can move mountains and know all of the wisdom and knowledge of the world, but do not have love, then I am nothing. If I give all that I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Love does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered, and it keeps no records of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. Where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, all that is in part will disappear. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I left the ways of childhood behind me. For now, I see only a reflection, as in a mirror. But then, I shall see face to face. For now, I know in part, but then I shall know fully, just like I am fully known. For now, these three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. sing this song with us this morning how deep the Father's love for us Thank you. 
Some of you may be familiar with the song, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. If so, would you sing it with us this morning?
this is our confession and our story always that the love of God is being revealed to us. God sort of opens the curtain on his heart and does so in so many ways. And certainly we proclaim that has taken place in the life and in the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's happened throughout time in creation. It happens in your story, I hope and pray all the time. When there are glimpses where God is saying, I love you. I think it happens here at Baylor, and it has happened in our story. It's a part of our time here today, by the way, uh, in chapel. Dr. Randy Lofgren, who's one of our vice presidents here at Baylor, will be bringing a word to us about that and, and about maybe the gift it has been to you and it maybe come from you in time. But I want us to pray and I want us to do so remembering the love of God, that we're in it, that it has been revealed to us and we have received it. So would you join me in that confession and in our prayer? Lord, help us to remember again in this moment in a way that would be real and that would matter and change us that we are loved. We pray that the depths of that reality that are flowing from your heart would meet us and again be unveiled to us here in this place today where we are living as we always do with our limitations and with our brokenness and our sin. And we pray that we might be able to see beyond them to the love that is more real than our brokenness and our limitation and our sin. Help us to live from that this day and help us to pray from that in this moment as we remember those that we bear to this place today. People that are on our hearts and minds, our friends and our loved ones, maybe family members people who are needing what you alone can give. And we think of them and we remember them to you, those who are maybe afraid this day, those who are wandering and maybe feeling lost, those who are hurt and sick. We remember them to you and trust in this moment, praying from your love that you would use our prayers on their behalf to reach to them and bring to them the grace that they need in this moment, the courage for their fears, the healing for their wounds, forgiveness for their guilt. Use our prayers and our love for them now and not only for them but those beyond us. We don't, we don't have any idea of what the world is really dealing with today, but we know it is beyond us. And we know there are places where there is no hope. Would you use our openness and our open hearts and minds and prayers this day to allow your love to flow to those places? That your grace would be real there for a moment this day because of our prayers. Would you bring them hope? It is from and through your love and in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. A reading from the prophet Jeremiah. The word of the Lord came to me saying, 
Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Ah, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am only a child. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a child. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. And then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. The word of the Lord. Waco Hall, Freshman Chapel. Can I tell you that in the spring of 1959, 51 years ago, I was where you sit now, in this very room. A 19-year-old freshman trying to find a focus for the rest of my life. At a chapel service much like this one, a speaker seemed to just zero in on my heart and my mind to say, Randy, if you give the Father all of you, he will use you to make a difference in your world. It's significant, I think, that I have no idea who the speaker was. Probably forgot his name the week following that experience. But the message God spoke through that speaker has been with me ever since. It has never been lost on me that it was at Baylor where I found that most important life principle. Basically, give him your best and he'll take care of the rest. We call this event Founders Day, an annual remembrance of our beginnings. Many times on these occasions, we honor individuals and families who have come to represent the best of what Baylor is, and so in their own ways, continue to found our great university through the passage of time. It occurs to me that since you are somewhat of a captive audience, and may not always be highly motivated to benefit from these chapel programs, see, I do remember, you might think that from time to time, speakers tend to underestimate your intellectual curiosity or at least your willingness to engage in serious thinking at 11.15 on Wednesdays. I confess that I spent some time imagining how I could deliver this message, making references to how differently our original founders communicated with each other than we do today. You know, uh, what if Judge Baylor texted William Tryon and said, hey, dude, what would you think about founding a university? Uh, let's talk about it. See you next time we're at Common Grounds. <laughs> Instead of the way it really was, when letters were delivered across the Texas territory by horseback and a typical exchange of ideas depended a great deal more on being together in one geographical location. Anyway, I know that may have added some interest to my presentation, but in the end, I determined that I could count on your attention to a message that you may just want to hear. I'll try not to bore you. Stick with me and I'll try to make what I have to say something of value for you beyond this half hour this morning. Today we recognize the fact that 165 years ago, next week, some people had an idea, an idea that became Baylor University. Today I want us to consider what each of you 
is founding. My guess is that most of you have never considered yourselves as founders of anything. Why? Well, in the first place, we don't talk that way very much anymore. Secondly, you may not be sure what being a founder really means. I want to suggest to you this morning that the founders of Baylor University in the winter of 1845, William Tryon, age 36, younger than you thought maybe, James Huckins, age 37, and Judge R.E.B. B. Baylor, the old man of the group at age 48, were responding to a need they saw. In that respect, they weren't that different from many of you here today. Do you occasionally look around and see a need and develop an idea to address that need? Of course, that's the way of the entrepreneur, the dreamer, the visionary. So let's depart a moment to consider distinctions we can draw among those three terms, ideas, dreams, and visions. Typically, an idea is something we think of as a novel solution to a problem or situation. When we have a thought about how to approach some challenge, great or small, we often say, hey, I've got an idea. Many of us seem to have an idea a minute. You know who you are. And it's easy to let those ideas go in the shadow of a better one that we or someone else might bring forward. Occasionally, though, you and I may have a burning idea that just won't leave us alone. On those occasions, if the idea isn't used for one reason or another, we almost unconsciously tuck it away somewhere in our mind or heart, leaving it there to draw upon some other day. Now let's turn our attention to having a dream about something. How does a dream differ from an idea? When we say, I had a dream last night, we typically are remembering a nocturnal scenario that seems real at the time, but it is in fact a fantasy or some subconscious expression maybe even indigestion. Another way we use the term dream is to cast an idea as something to achieve, such as Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. He spoke of a dream where he saw those things that divide the races being dissolved, a time when the idea that all men are created equal would come to be more than simply an adage. Can we now make a distinction between a dream and a vision? In common usage, these terms seem to be synonymous. Think for a minute how you might position in your mind the words dreamer and visionary. I think you will agree that somehow we think of someone who is a dreamer as one who wishes something were so. In that way, we tend to discredit dreamers as those who have idle thoughts about fantastic scenarios, things that probably won't amount to much and are not likely to come about anyway. I would be surprised if you as college students aren't aware that your parents' generation often refer to your generation as idealistic in a way that somehow denotes unrealistic or naive, maybe incidentally forgetting that when they were your age, their parents said the same about them. So in that context, to use the term dreamer is to attach minimal significance to how you wish things were as over against the way things really are and are likely to remain that way. So what makes one a visionary? Is there a distinction we can draw between being a dreamer and being a visionary? Although there are many ways to consider the distinctions between these terms, I'd like to suggest this morning that one who is visionary is a dreamer who has a conviction that something wonderful needs to be achieved and then contemplates how to make it happen. 
Most recently in the life of Baylor University, you hear about the 2012 vision. That plan put in place eight years ago now, and the framers of that vision had in mind lofty and ambitious outcomes for the university. Those founders of that vision and 100 cents laid out a blueprint for how those outcomes might be achieved. Every time you walk in the science building or many other experiences that you have from day to day, you're enjoying the fruits of that vision now. Now let's return to our university's original founders again, Tryon, Huckins, and Baylor. In the middle of the 19th century, when Baylor was founded, Texas was a frontier territory. Not until 1845 did Texas become a state. Until that time, as an Indian territory, Texas was truly a mission field for most Christian denominations that were centered in the eastern half of our country. It was this missionary spirit that brought our founders together in what was then the Republic of Texas. In 1844, the Texas Baptist Education Society, it always tickles me, that sounds like something really big. I think that there were 14 members as I read my research. The Texas Baptist Education Society decided there was a need for an institution of higher learning on the Texas frontier. These are the words penned and spoken by James Huckins, not really that much older than you, to the Union Baptist Association organized in Houston. It is resolved to found a Baptist university in Texas upon a plan so broad that the requirements of existing conditions would be fully met and that would be susceptible of enlargement and development to meet the needs of all ages to come. As I read those words, the first phrase seems to be the response to an immediate need. In the framework of our discussion this morning, I think I would see that first phrase as a bold idea. It is the phrase that follows, and that would be susceptible of enlargement and development to meet the needs of all ages to come. That rises to the level, I think, of a vision. If you're following me, I think you would agree that even to put those words into writing required visionary thinking. That's the kind of thinking that some people dismiss as dreamer talk or meaningless idealism. After all, think about it. To meet the needs of all ages to come? Pretty bodacious, even in some ways presumptuous. Years ago, I learned that if God gives a vision in my mind and heart, it will haunt me until it comes to pass. On the other hand, if I dream up an idea that is not God-ordained in my life, there's a good chance it will not come to pass. I believe it is that principle that was at work in the minds and hearts of William Tryon, James Huckins, and Robert Bledsoe Baylor. It was a God-ordained vision that prompted a dream in early Texans that had as its root an idea to provide a Baptist university in Texas. Now to an important dynamic that I want to emphasize for the rest of our time together, not that much longer. Two of the three men, our founders, did not live much beyond the beginnings they set in motion, that is, to found a Baptist university in Texas. William Tryon died at age 38, two years after the founding. James Huckins died as a chaplain in the Civil War soon after the founding. Only Judge R.E.B. Baylor lived a long life, and after a distinguished career as a U.S. congressman and judge, he was elevated to the position of Texas Supreme Court Justice before he died at age 80. 
I could not find any words from him about this, but it would be interesting to know what Judge Baylor felt in his old age about his namesake institution and its future. Regardless, it's safe to say that none of the original founders could have possibly imagined what their idea, their dream, their vision would become in the year 2010. If I were to say to you that Baylor had to be founded many times between the beginnings and independence to the present day, would that make sense to you? The truth is that all through our history, there have been those whose devotion to Baylor led them to understand the power of the vision of the original founders. These men and women, faculty, staff, and students persevered through all the decades, holding to the founders' vision of a place where God is honored, young people are led to reach their potential, and the gospel of Christ is lived out in what we've come to know as the Baylor family. As one who has been involved with the life of Baylor University in one capacity or another now for over 50 years, from time to time I hear someone say that they're concerned that Baylor's becoming something different than what we experienced when we were students. I always respond that from my perspective, the bedrock principles and the Christian life around which student programming are design is designed are consistent with what we experienced as students 50 years ago. I always add that, as you would expect, those cherished traditions and campus experiences may look different, but they are nevertheless expressions of the same focus and vision of the original founders. You see here a founder's citation. The university presents one of these on Founders Day to someone who has been instrumental in keeping Baylor true to the founder's vision. Let me read the 2010 Founders Day citation to you now. In this gathering, here assembled, we do today proclaim to all members of the Baylor family, here and abroad, that our great university, which has stood for 165 years since its founding in 1845 by William Tryon, James Huckins, and Judge Robert Bledsoe Baylor, is looking forward to decades of success built upon the grace of God and the example of Jesus, his son. Nurtured here in this place by God's Holy Spirit, young people will continue to seek their potential in a caring atmosphere taught by dedicated Christian faculty, enriched by committed staff and administration, and supported by their friends, family, and fellow students. In recognition of their promise, their desire to seek God's plan for their lives, the potential they hold to make a difference in the world, those of us who have gone before and those who will follow in the future anticipate the contribution of these current students and look to the class of 2013 to become founders of Baylor University. On this 27th day of January in the year of our Lord, 2010, and in the 165th year of Baylor University, Baylor will always need founders. Could it be that you will one day be instrumental in keeping the future of Baylor University true to the intent of the original founders? When you sing that good old Baylor line, remember that not only are you joining a long line of thousands who have come before you at Baylor, but that you are also called upon to anchor the line that comes after you. When we shout Sikkim Bears, let's do so with the understanding that we are encouraging ourselves and our fellow students to go out into the world 
flinging our green and gold afar, making that world a better place because we are Baylor. One day out in the future, you just might recall this Founders Day in 2010 and vaguely remember that some speaker challenged you to become founders of Baylor University when your time comes around. You can become one who contributes to this great university, an idea, a dream, a vision, to light the ways of time. As one who has carried the torch for Baylor University now for over 50 years, let me symbolically pass the torch to each of you. I'm counting on you. We are counting on you. We're depending upon you to carry this torch into the future, to be Baylor in the world, to be a founder. Now, this has been a worship setting, and I hope that we have all worshiped during this time. And typically when we sing the Baylor line, it is just some raucous occasion uh, and uh, would hardly be seen as a worship item. But what I want us to do now is, as we close, to stand and let's commit ourselves. Go ahead. Let's commit ourselves to being, to being that good old Baylor line. Now, if you'll think of this as a musical benediction, you may be able to get your head and heart around the fact that this is worship. And it is worship if you take to your heart what has been said about your responsibility and your opportunity to be founders for Baylor University. And we're going to have to do this because you can't do it otherwise. If you want to say hallelujah instead of second bears, that's okay. That good old Baylor line, that good old Baylor line will march forever down the years as long as stars shall shine. We'll fling our green and gold afar to light the ways of time and guide us as we onward go with feeling that good old Baylor life.